0: We'd like to thank our sponsor SPEC for making today's episode possible. Stop waiting months or years to deploy the fraud defense tools you need to secure your applications from fraud attacks. With the SPEC orchestration platform, you can integrate new tools into your existing fraud stack in minutes without writing a single line of code. You can quickly adapt to emerging adversarial AI threats and even policy abuse, and because SPEC captures all behavioral data, you can enrich the data your tools receive, improving their performance. When vendor performance, attack tactics, and user behavior changes, SPEC automatically monitors, alerts, and responds to those trends before they become issues. Visit www.specprotected.com today to learn more and schedule your very own demo. Now let's get to the episode. buddy. Welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer podcast. I have a special one today. I have two guests with me today, and we're going to be talking chargebacks, all chargebacks. Uh, I have Ronan Ben-Ami from just here today. Um, their company has put together an awesome report that I think a lot of people have seen. I took a look at it, and I found a whole bunch of interesting tidbits that I pinged them and said, let's take a talk about. Um, I also have Jenny Nilsson who used to work for me over at the wonderful Ticketmaster, who's their head of chargebacks. So hi to both of you guys. I can't wait to talk about chargebacks. How are you guys both doing?
1: Good. Good.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for making time. I know um, I sent a lot of notes over to both of you and Jenny, I kind of added you at the last second here um, as another voice of reason on, on the merchant side. But I kind of want to start, obviously, like I do most episodes of just how did I get, how did I know you guys? And uh, Ronan, I think I'll start with you. How, how do I know you? Because this is fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, great, great. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. This is uh, really exciting to be here today. Um, so I believe that our head of contact, content, was also named Ronan, we have two Ronans at Just, uh, once we got the report together, sent it over to you. And as you mentioned, as you, after you reviewed the, the report, you saw the the value right. and got excited, just as excited as we are about it. So we thought it'd be a great idea to jump on your podcast and, and speak about it together.
0: Yeah. And I don't think I'd have a whole lot of chargeback content on here um, yet. So it's good. And I think, you know, especially Jenny, um, when we get to you in a second here, you know, and we get to Compelling Evidence 3.0. I know, Jenny, you've been pretty instrumental in some of the merchants, um, like, or some of the solution providers and helping them with some of their Compelling Evidence 3.0 based on your understanding and your volume. So, Jenny, how do you know me? <laughs>
2: uh, so, uh, yeah, I used to work for you. I started, well, basically in, in this industry, I've been in this in, industry for over 18 years, uh, but I've been at Ticketmaster for 16 years. So I've seen all the changes. I've seen the growth. Um, and it's never boring. Uh, especially yeah. co- when COVID happened, completely was a rush. Um, and that is why I'm still here.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you have been there for a very long time, you know, 16 years at any company, especially in us tech guys is a lifetime. Um, But Ronan, let's talk about how you got into fraud because, you know, Jenny kind of just touched that she's just, she's been there for a while. And we'll go back to you, Jenny, and get into how you actually fell into this because your story's interesting too. But uh Ronan, how'd you get into to fraud? How'd you get into the space? How'd you get into chargebacks? You know, Just has been making a lot of waves lately. I think a lot of people are hearing the name, a lot of people are using you guys. So always curious to know how you how you got into it.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, so I started more on the anti-fraud side of things, similar to let's say uh or Forder. I worked at a company called Simplex who had an anti-fraud solution specifically. For the crypto space, so fiat to crypto transactions, they oh. were actually one, one of the first payment processors that did uh, credit card transactions for for the purchase of crypto. So they had to have a very strong anti fraud solution in order to do that. That was tailored for the crypto space, uh, and something I always say to come uh, to uh, new employees that join our company is when you're a new employee. Uh, ask questions in a in a startup because you start asking yeah. questions that we didn't ask ourselves, and uh, th- that's what I really got the opportunity. I was employee twenty five there, started asking questions, seeing that we didn't have the the foundation built on the payment side to be a established payment processor in the networks uh, PSP, and we really built that. Process from the ground up, and I fell in love with the world of payments. To be honest, I moved over from the anti-fraud side of things to the payments world, and really built from the ground up their merchant screening and monitoring teams, fraud and chargeback monitoring teams, and uh, risk and compliance teams. And uh, I saw the pain point of chargebacks there, yeah. and uh, wow. that's yeah, that's when I I really saw the opportunity because I looked at uh, what was available to deal with chargebacks and saw a, a big opportunity to build something different in the market. I, I actually built something for Simplex in the beginning and then began to think bigger. And uh, and that's when uh, when we, we began building Just, which we saw there was an opportunity to build something just across uh, all industries for all merchants that are dealing with their chargebacks at the post-transaction side. Because you have a great anti-fraud solution, you can have a great screening team, so you're dealing with legitimate Merchants and then chargebacks are still coming in those first party misuse friendly fraud chargebacks and using technology and the right methodology, you can really solve that uh, that pain point. And in the way we feel and we've seen with just as you mentioned, we've made a big footprint so quickly because we've brought something so different to the market.
0: I will say um, Simplex, I believe, got uh, purchased by that Nuve. How how do you say say Nuve? And that's um, for people that don't know. That's, uh, I believe it's a Canadian company, and they have an investment from uh, Deadpool himself, Ryan Reynolds. So um, hopefully we will see him at the MRC uh, this coming one. You know if uh, if he really is invested in that company. Um,
2: well, then count me there.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so Jenny, let's kind of talk about you and yeah on that point. Um, so let's talk about you and how you got into the chargeback space. I'm sure a lot of what what Ronan just said will resonate with you. You know the complexity of the chargeback. So how did you even wind up doing chargebacks? I mean, you've done it for 16 years. I think you've You've kind of been over um, at multiple companies. So how would you get into the space?
2: I actually started at Washington Mutual. So for those older people, you know, I'm talking about. For the uh, young yeah. ones, they're called Chase. It's Chase Bank. Um, <laughs> so started with them on dispute the side of things. Um, it was tons and tons coming through. Learned a lot on the back end, right? And was kind of interested on all these compelling evidence that was coming through, but didn't really understand as to why they didn't, you know, really answer the questions and pinpoint to it. Um, and then. Uh, The unfortunate happened, Washington Mutual became Chase. Yeah, I remember that. I had to, you know, bounce, right? So I was looking around and found a uh, opportunity. I'd take a master for the chargeback side of things, so the merchant side. So reached out, you know, got in and then started my way there and realized, um, kind of took some of my knowledge on the banking side, um, brought feedback um, of what we can do and change and upgrade um, and implement that on the Ticketmaster side, and, and saw where um, there's always improvement because there's always up, you know, changes, uh, regulations, policies, whatnot. So um, there's always new upcoming things, changes going on that we need to train and readjust. So that's the exciting part of it. But able to basically create um, the chargeback side of things from the ground up on the Ticketmaster side.
0: Yeah, when, when I joined Ticketmaster, um there wasn't really any, any tools necessarily in place. It was kind of just responding by hand using screenshots. And I think that this is kind of where just comes in too. is like a lot of manual work it was a lot, a lot of humans doing a lot of manual lifting, going and finding these things, taking the screenshots, uploading them directly into like the, the PSP portals, um, and not any sort of, of technology. And then you and I, Jenny, specifically over my first year there, um, were able to put in some automation using some of the 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 fraud tools that were available to us at the time um to automate some of that process but i mean we'll and we'll talk about that as we go through some of this um because it was kind of an always evolving process especially into covid and um, what we had to do and how we had to modify some of the systems to to create these sorts of things and just i think like with you, you guys round in coming in here like is is kind of doing a lot of those things but let's start with what the state of chargebacks currently is in a post COVID world. Because I think like, not only like all the stuff that we did during COVID, but consumer behavior has drastically changed in COVID. And then now coming out of COVID, it just like people are driving like maniacs on the road now, people are consuming like maniacs in the e-commerce world now. And Just, you put together this report. So if you could kind of tell us what it is, and why you did it, and then let's really just dive into some of the really interesting stuff that's happening.
1: Yeah, so we we really saw the opportunity to uh, to to help the rest of uh, ourselves and the rest of the ecosystem really see what's happening uh, with with merchants today, especially the experts internally at uh, different merchants. We really focused on merchants that have over fifty million dollars in revenue. Uh, and see what they're saying about chargebacks internally today. Are they handling it uh, in a, an efficient way? Uh, what's working? What's not working? I think it's uh, in the end, what I really like about the report is it really gives a snapshot of what's happening uh, internally at these companies, but also educates the rest of the market of what things we should improve on and uh, what else is needed in the market and uh,
0: where where are the weak spots? Absolutely. So let's dive in right away with some of the things. Now, I made a big list before we even started prepping for this podcast here. So I made a big list of things and Ronan was kind enough to jump in and had his flavor to um, some more context kind of to some of these numbers. So I'm going to start right away with my number one, which is, and this is going to blow people's mind, is in 2023, only 22% of consumers reported not filing a chargeback. That means that 78% of consumers filed at least one chargeback this year. That's crazy. And that's up from 66% in 2022. So in in reality, we weren't really imagining it, everybody. When we said that chargebacks are rising, they really have gone through the roof. So, And on top of that, 29% of consumers report filing multiple up to three in a year. That's crazy to me. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's really uh, uh, crazy numbers. I agree with you, and and I think uh, I, I can I can even take it a step further because we did a similar report in the UK, and the increase in the UK has even been more drastic. Where it was a thirty two percent point increase uh, to seventy seven percent as well, a point below the US, but it was a lot lower before then. So the numbers are growing not only in the US globally. Uh, because as you mentioned, COVID really affected not only the U.S. It was a global uh, impact. And what we're really seeing is we I, I kind of call a, a chargebacks kind of like a gateway drug. Uh, you do your first chargeback; it's a legitimate claim, and then you realize how easy it really is to do a chargeback. And it's just easier than going to the merchant and dealing with the merchant. Many of these issues, if if consumers would go to their the actual merchant. They could probably solve the problem with the merchants, and most of the merchants would love if the consumers would do that. Uh, but because it's just so much easier to just click uh, the dispute button on their on their portal at their bank or their credit card uh, uh, company, then it makes it a lot easier easier for them to do that. So they're they're doing that more. So I think there's there's the ease. Yeah, it's become more mainstream that uh, they're, they're seeing how easy it is. Uh, as well as just online transactions have increased since COVID. And as you said, we're consuming more, but we're consuming more in a different way, which is just increasing in the online space. And tra- uh, chargebacks in general have always been higher in the online
0: space uh, as opposed to brick and mortar stores. Absolutely. Jenny, what did, what did you see change coming out of that? Like with how how people are interacting with chargebacks now, since you have to deal with all that volume?
2: Well, I completely agree. I mean, COVID completely changed everything. The, the consumers were educated, not just through social media, like saying how to get a refund through the bank when company says all sales are final. And then the fact that exactly what you said, Ronan, how online banking makes it so easy and simple and convenient. All you have to do is just click and then you file a dispute but, but I also noticed that um, it didn't help that some merchants not knowingly encouraged it by not just issuing the refund, but also allowing them to keep the merchandise. It completely changed yeah. the chargeback industry to another level. So after the pandemic, first party misuse completely boomed. Chargeback was not as known as it is today. So it's an easy outlet for them.
0: Yeah, I will say like, I think that, I mean, Jenny, you were on calls with me for, with all of our processors and partners for that during that whole time saying the barrier of entry was just too low for issuing a dispute. Like they just can tap, they don't have to talk to anybody. And I think like, you know, that was one of the things I know for me personally, I did love coming out of COVID with so much stuff did move online. Like I can do my doctor appointment, I can do these, I can send emails. Like more people were willing to do things online than ever before. Like even for example, like, like I'm buying a house right now. I haven't had to do anything to step into an office anywhere and anywhere on the planet to do anything right now. It's just signing documents online, wiring money. Like historically, like you have to go sit somewhere and do these sorts of things, but you don't have to you don't have to go anywhere to do anything anymore to buy literally anything, cars. They can come right to you now. Like it's just, it's nuts. Like, can you charge back a car? I should find that out.
2: You know, yes, that you would can. be
0: what. Don't yeah. worry about keep keep your Mercedes. Don't worry about it. You know.
2: <laughs> but I, so, I do, I do have a little tidbit uh, in regards sure. to the chargeback of it. I have a family member during the pandemic called me and said, "I finally realized what you did for a living." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, I called the bank, I filed a dispute, and they explained what it what it was, and I realized it was you." So I said, as long as not master charge back, we can still be family. So obviously it wasn't.
0: <laughs> you know, that was like such a big thing over there because, you know, we were like everybody and uh, we'll move on to number two in a second, but just, everybody was trying to figure out what the hell was happening when COVID started and nobody had any patience to wait to figure out what was happening. So people were just jumping the gun. So they, they, some people, granted, would try, because it was the old days, would try and call the merchant and be like, what's happening? What's going on with my concert? And we would say, well, we don't know. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to work with the government to figure it out. You know, we kind of have a bound by local government standards there. Uh, and then they would just jump the gun and, and call their bank. And then they realized they could just do that forever. <laughs> so now everybody is, just does it.
1: Yeah. And Jordan, so- in regards to your, to your question, and uh, Jenny uh, I already approved it, but I mean, we have merchants with chargebacks. One chargeback worth sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and to recover that one chargeback is so important to them. Yeah. So
0: yeah, hundred percent. So, like Ticketmaster, you know, some of the like Super Bowl is kind of a weird, a weird event specifically to do it, but because you know, like, a lot of the inventory is pre-sold to like partners and and of the thing, like their packages that are already done by the whole venue. Uh, so inventory doesn't go a lot to Ticketmaster, but those things are you know, hundred, hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Um, and those are usually ones that i would be like i personally would like a hand in fighting these sorts of things you know um, you see it on boxing matches like especially for like uh, mayweather fights and stuff you know the, the value of these tickets are really really high so the responses have to be perfect you know and like there is a lot of automation like you know i think a lot of us always especially in the space especially in the volume like high volume merchants like like Ticketmaster, they want to automate as much as possible because you know there's thousands of these things coming in a day a month and you don't want to be, you don't want to get bogged down and have like a hundred people doing these things. But at the same time, like you have to segment out some of your cues and which ones go with automation, which ones have a little bit of a finesse to them, uh, to, to really figure out what's going on. And I think there are some, some notes on here that we'll talk about some, some of the ideas and better ways to, to fight some of those. So yeah, we'll get there. So let's talk about number two. On my list of something that was super interesting to me. And there's only eight of these, I think, folks. So don't, don't worry, we're not going through like 600 of these things, maybe, but um, it's valuable information. Um, so, number two is 12% of large companies are not fighting chargebacks at all. Now, that means that, you know, there is the vast majority of companies are fighting it. But this is where it gets a little interesting. If you take the company size and you shrink it down a little bit to SMB space, uh, 20% of SMBs are not fighting them at all. So, what do you think is kind of the reason for that? Is it just mans manpower? like what what do you think?
1: Yeah, what we're really seeing is when you're a younger company or a smaller company, you have to focus your time. you can't you can't uh, deal with everything. and it's you have to prioritize. and chargebacks is usually in lower priority when you're first building a company or when you're a smaller company. And as you grow, I always say as your tra- as your transactions grow, your chargebacks grow along with it. It's the name of the game, and as that that chargeback amount begins to grow for a company, and they start feeling that pain more, that's when they start investing in uh, more of dealing. It usually starts with a small uh, a team that does it on the side, and then start establishing some sort of a team to deal with those chargebacks. So, it, it, it we're definitely
0: seeing it with our with our current customers at the moment. That type of process. I think that, you know, that's how a lot of people wind up in our industry is like they were joined like at some startup, at, like a customer service or like a finance team. And then, the, the you know, like the companies are so focused, like hyper focused on growth. And all of a sudden this like, what the hell is this? A chargeback? What do you mean? I don't have my money anymore. And then they have to they tell somebody to go figure it out and then more come in and more come in. And then that's just kind of how I feel like so many people just like wind up in fraud and chargebacks is like, they didn't know it existed and then then it became a thing. And then they get so focused on winning and beating these people at their own game that they get like, that. that's how you really get passionate about it. So Jenny, do you have anything you wanna say about that one?
2: I, I think it's a combo of education and resources, but I, I would also have to like to add the average dispute amount as well. And what I mean by that is that I've seen where their average chargeback amount is under $10. So therefore, what's the point of stretching out the chargeback timeframe? Just accept it, flag their account accordingly, move on. Like perhaps plug a chargeback platform to the monitor or hire one or two headcounts and be done with it until it hits the fan. Once they notice that they're bleeding losses, and then that's when they take action to strategize.
0: Yeah, I think like, you know, especially hyper growth companies, that's a good point, is like, if they're making, if their margin is high, like super high, like they don't care if some of it's walking out the door because they're still making like big returns on it. And then they get the, the notice from Visa you know you're in the early warning or you're in the the, yep. o- the overage program the uh, excessive uh, monitoring program but at the same time you know i think as, as businesses grow too and like more people come in like more bi focused people data starts to get a little more granular on what you're looking at you know but instead of just looking at sales versus returns you know and then you're looking at sales versus returns versus refunds versus chargebacks and then you look at chargebacks versus like non-fraud versus fraud like as you as you get bigger you you get more interested in the data and you have more people that are interested in the data Um, Especially as growth slows, you try and figure out where you could eke out those extra couple of bucks, you know, each time. So, okay, number three, moving around along here, everybody. So this is, I think, some interesting stuff, too. I think this will kind of baseline some people on like how they're doing. On chargeback, so forty-seven percent of large companies report that their win rate is above fifty-one percent, which I think is fantastic. Smaller companies only twenty-five percent say that their win rate is at that same level. So it seems like bigger companies are pretty good at winning stuff. Uh, what do you think, Ronan?
1: Yeah, I think that really relates to the last question, where where I think we're, we're seeing with the smaller companies is many times it's it's usually an additional task for a for a, a, a team internally it could be their customer support team it could be their finance team it could be their anti-fraud team that also on the side are dealing with their chargebacks and trying to build some evidence where with larger custom companies we were what we're seeing there is that they usually have established teams they've invested more in the research understanding the rules of the card schemes better and trying doing some trial and error trying to see what works better in different scenarios uh, over time, you become you become better. The more chargebacks you deal with, you usually your team
0: should become better at doing it over time. Excellent segue into Jenny. Mm-hmm. I've watched you move the needle on your win rate. What Ronan just said probably resonates with you. Can Very you much. just take it from there?
2: My opinion: You have to have a multi-layer approach. There are millions of dollars on the line, as you need. So you need to be creative enable rule basis decisions, automation, actual human beings touching cases, adding alerts, but also reevaluating the losses as well. Like how can you recoup some of those cases you lost? Are there some disputes that you still can push back? What are the trends that you're seeing? You have an actual dedicated team to streamline the process in a larger company versus a smaller one.
0: So, I mean, some of the stuff, can you, I mean, we kind of, like you were able to move the needle. Like, do you can you give me like your top one or two things that you've done that's been impactful for you to increase your win rate as a large company?
2: Uh, centralize all your chargeback, for sure. Um, and multi-layer, that's another thing. That's, that's a huge thing, right? Uh, it's not one size fit all. You need to be able to um, shift and adjust, automate where you can, right? Because there's no reason for us to touch those um, and have human touch where they can as well. Um, But not only that, but also reach out to your partners, which I believe that's going to be part of your other um, points as well. Yeah, I think we'll get there.
0: And if if I somehow forget to do that, I'll tell you, I'll tell everybody because it came up on a call I was on earlier today uh, about working with your payment partners.
2: Yeah, so it's important to work with our, with our payment processors, but again, it's not one size fit all, it's multi layers, it's adding alerts, it's a lot of uh, other touch points, but every single process down the, the line, if you can go ahead and adjust and fix and add and remove, please do, because that will basically help you prevent and lower your, um, your, your losses.
1: Jenny, I really liked what you said about centralizing all your chargebacks in one place, because what we're really seeing with merchants that work with multiple payment processors is that each payment processor shows the chargeback information in in a different way. For example, what the status of the case is, how much time you have to respond to a case, or even if you can go all the way to arbitration or not, some payment processors allow merchants to do that and others don't, and each situation is different how you can actually do that. So, being able to centralize all your payment processors in one place in order to organize handling all those cases in an efficient way, based on the timelines and knowing if you won or lost the case and if you can continue fighting or not,
0: is super important to be able to build a a strong, efficient solution. That's a a really good point too, especially around like the dates. I think I remember a time when when Jenny and I were trying to figure out why a, a newer payment processor we had brought on why we kept getting these losses. And it was because the dates that they were giving us to respond was extremely narrow compared to what the actual regulations are because they said that they needed time to turn it around on their side. And we kind of said, not really our problem, (laughs) kind of your problem if you want to be a payment processor. But it was really, what we ended up doing was putting a process in that like, they, we shortened the window ourselves internally in order to, to make sure that we were well within their guidelines, because we didn't trust that particular PSP to turn those, those around in a reasonable manner. So excellent point. Both of you. Yes. Centralization. I think that that's where, you know, as, as people move to a, a more multi acquiring scenario where like, especially if you're, if you're cross-border, you might have payment processors in the UK versus payment processors in LATAM versus what you have in North America or even Canada. And, one team to rule them all, you know, you need to find a way to put them all in. Like, granted, you could have people log into each one of those, but like they might forget the rules of one versus the other. It's better if you could just pull everything in and automate a lot of it. Um, I'm sure that's what you guys do at Just, though, isn't it?
1: <laughs> exactly. It's something I, it's a lot of merchants say that's part of our special sauce at Just that we're able to bring it all under one roof and for them to be able to see. The status is in, in an easy fashion and what what's happening with each one of their chargebacks
2: but I, super interesting i have interesting. to add, I have I to have add reporting as well right because if you don't centralize oh, everything it's very difficult to grab the you know accurate data behind that so um i spent many many years um, not you know pulling different reports in different processors and now centralizing everything it's a lot simpler it's more accurate um, it's less time consuming
0: yeah, because everybody has different terminology on what they mean on different things. So it is nice when people map it to be the right thing. So let's move on to number four, shall we? This is where we start to get a little more interesting here. Um, and I think that this is going to be no surprise to a lot of people It's coming out of the pandemic. So slightly below half of departments handling chargebacks estimate that 20% of their total chargebacks are friendly fraud. First party, as some people call it. So that means that 20% of everything that's coming in those, those fraud queues is real consumers abusing the process. And a quarter of companies say it's higher than 41%. Now that, last out, a quarter of companies say it's higher than 41%. So almost half of their disputes are fake fraud. That's bonkers. So Ronan, could you elaborate on that for me, please?
1: Yeah, those are really high numbers in regards to friendly fraud and it really shows, as uh, we've said in regards to COVID, there's been an increase in friendly fraud or first-party misuse. But what really interests me here is uh, you mentioned it a second ago, Jordan, around terminology, and I feel like there is a lot of challenges in terminology in the industry. Like, what what does friendly fraud mean? Some That's merchants look at it, yeah, only look at it in regards to their fraud chargebacks. Which ones are true fraud, and which ones are friendly fraud? Other Look at their their entire charge chargeback volume and say friendly fraud is basically an illegitimate chargeback that could be across any, any reason of, code. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Or you have first party misuse, which is the newer terminology because there was a lot of confusion around friendly fraud, and now first party misuse is being used across all of reason codes. So it really depends who you speak to and how they're using the terminology. Uh, and in addition to that, what's really interesting is that many times if you have a system in place either if you're doing it automated or manual checking when you receive a fraud chargeback if it's true fraud or friendly fraud your system or your team's ability is probably going to be around if it's in a good it'll be at 80% accurate there's always that 10 20% that it may be uh it may be true fraud still and and that's the yeah. situation of when should you represent a case? Should you submit a case when your system is telling you it's true fraud? Should you not represent the case? And that's also a challenge because we're supposed to be representing only on friendly fraud cases on one side as a merchant. But on the other side, we do have to remember that issuers have information that merchants don't have about the the cardholder and the transactions and merchants have information that the issuers don't have. So if you have that 10, 20% chance that it may be friendly fraud, it might be worth it to, to submit the case anyways, because whatever information you do have will give the issuer a better picture of what happens so they can make a more educated decision.
0: Excellent. And Jenny, I know you have done a lot of work around fraud reason code specifically and like when and how to represent those. Can you kind of just give us a little insight about maybe some of your thought process personally on that?
2: Uh, yeah, so 3.0, right? That's, that's everyone's thought. That's where thought. we're going next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, what everyone's thought on it. But I completely agree with Ronan there. Um, but the overall in regards to the representments, um, providing compelling evidence in the representment is key. An analyst can look for anomalies in the order that might suggest that there is a risk for friendly fraud occurring. But painting a clear, simple picture, addressing the reason simple. code... Simple simple. and addressing the the reason
0: code is key. Yeah, Yeah,
2: it it, it will increase your win rate. But surprisingly, a lot of merchants do not actually address the reason code or address the additional information that is provided by the consumer. Clear, concise data straight to the point will get you the W.
0: That's an excellent point, guys, both on like the CE3 stuff. Um, So compelling evidence 3.0. So one of the things that I've been looking at doing um, internally is kind of doing a feedback loop, um, using compelling evidence 3.0 wins. So if it's a CE3 case that we've won, we can kind of start marking some of these customers that we know are friendly fraud or abusive customers. And then we can use some of our device intelligence using those flags, some ML stuff, AI, as everybody says, around some of these frequent flyers on abusive programs, kind of get like, a, I guess, a, a loose customer integrity score um, that we might be able to, to use some somewhat there. So that's something that I'm working on now. It's really in my early days of this because CE 3.0 is still pretty fresh, you know, July. It's only a few months ago. Um, but let's talk about some CE3 stuff and some of the um what what Visa uh has kind of brought in with tools that they've thought to help us as merchants out, and uh, we we won't kind of say like what the results are, because I don't think we necessarily have the results of that um, on this call, but there have been some things. So let's talk specifically about post-transaction services. And I'm gonna talk both about Visa services and MasterCard services a little bit here, but um, I will try to call out the ones as we go down this list. I'm gonna kind of rattle them off, and then Ronan, I'm gonna have you throw in some flavor Flav on this, and we'll talk about it. So 76% of people in this survey said that they use some sort of post-transaction service. Now that'll be alerts and order insight and things like that. So let's talk, so 55% of people say that they use order insight. I would say that the number is pretty high on that because Visa's kind of unofficially mandating that as part of the compelling evidence 3.0, so I think that we'll see that number grow. 43% of folks say that they use verifies alerts and 33% of people say that they use Ethica's alerts. Now, 35% of these responders say that they use RDR, the Rapid Dispute Resolution service for Visa. Likely, that number is going to grow because it's part of the 3D Secure automation process, or not 3D Secure. I'm sorry, the Compelling Evidence 3.0 um, automation process. So, I think that that number will really go higher. Um, 68% of these companies that, or 68% of companies that are using these services, are seeing a chargeback of less than 90 basis points, which hopefully that's good news. Um, And then 59% of companies that don't use them say that they also are under 90 basis points, which to me, you know, doesn't make a huge difference. But for me personally, as Jordan, as the fraud boxer, um, the key takeaway is like the adoption levels of a lot of these services. A lot of our peers are using these post-transaction services, which means that there is a lot of thought and a lot of investment that goes into post-transaction monitoring, not just pre-transaction monitoring. So Ronan, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. There's definitely an increase, you see it in the numbers, in the use of these uh, services. Uh, With Visa, it's uh, Verify, and with MasterCard, it's Ethica services. Uh, And they're adding additional services with, as you mentioned, Order Insight, uh, now has the new piece for C3.0, which is great. And uh, MasterCard's Consumer Clarity is getting bigger, which is similar to or- Order Insight. And what's what's interesting here is we mm-hmm. as Just, we, we're a partner of both uh, Verify and Ethica, both of these solutions. And we do resell it to our customers, uh, but it's important to know when to use it and when not to use it. And that's what's really key because each each type of service that they have uh, from RDR to alerts to con- uh, to Consumer Clarity to Verify, all of them have different scenarios of what's the pros and cons of using it. And you have to do the analysis because in many of the scenarios, mm-hmm. it means that you're actually refunding the case. So you it's kind of like losing a chargeback. And if you're below the chargeback limits in the first place, many of these solutions are less relevant for you. If you are coming close to or above the limits, then... You should know when to use it and when not to use it so that when you do have a chargeback and it's illegitimate, you still have the ability to fight that case through the dispute process.
0: I will say, and then Jenny, will come to you in a minute because you use a couple of these services, uh, that especially with like order insight and consumer clarity. Earlier, you had mentioned that, you know, like the merchants have some information that the issuers don't have and issuers have some information the merchants don't have. And I think that these tools are doing a very good job of attempting to fill in those blanks so you can get this what call centers call one call resolution. So if somebody does call their bank, you know, they can see in line what the customer bought, have they bought before, you know, those sorts of things and kind of answer that information and hopefully, as they say, deflect these, these disputes from happening. And like I know they claim like in the in the 20% range on, on some of those deflections, but you, you hit the nail on the head with like these alerts. Like these alerts have a cost to them, and sometimes those costs can be high. So you need to know, you don't want to just consume every single alert that you possibly can, because, you know, you might've already identified it as fraud, you know, and stopped it, but they're seeing the pending, or you might have already, you know, taken some other action that now you're getting this, or you might've already shipped the good and used nothing you could do about it now. So you have to get a pretty good idea or, or the amount of the good might be less than the amount of the alert. So you might want to have, um, some intelligence around that and then work with your partners, work with Ethica, work with your verify on when and how you get those alerts and, and at what level. And, and, they, and, and they want it to work for you too. Like like everybody that's like, oh, you know, they only take all or nothing. No, it, they would prefer you to buy these products versus not buy these products. So have these conversations with them and they will work with you to tailor these solutions like fraud is a moving target so is your vendor management and your your relationships with your vendors you know you should always be adapting and changing to your needs now so moving on out of the CE3.0 stuff and we might touch on it a little bit later we'll see how this conversation goes but let's talk about some of the the facts that were gleaned from this survey about chargeback teams and their place in organizations so according to this report Seventy-four percent of teams feel highly valued by leadership. Now, I think that this is um, something that, like Jenny, especially when you and I were working on on this at Ticketmaster, it was the same type of thing. Is like, how do you get the resources you need from leadership if they don't even know you technically even exist? You know, or if they are really aware you exist and they're mad at you, <laughs> how do you balance that? So 78% of teams feel highly valued by leadership, which is a great number. I think that's excellent. That means that the vast majority of companies have leadership that looks uh, favorably on their, their chargeback teams, which is excellent because usually it's seen as a loss, you know, like you're paying money to recover revenue. So the fact that 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 perception has changed is great. So, like I said, I've seen it firsthand where we went from unknown by the sea level to having literally daily meetings by the sea level to to talk about what's going on. So, Ronan, what do you what do you see? What do you think that this? Yeah, means?
1: I really think it's showing that there's more of a focus around the world of disputes and chargebacks uh, by management. They're seeing the importance of dealing with this properly. Uh, I could give a similar, uh, Jordan. I really liked your personal example because I could say. When I first uh, started building uh, the solution at Simplex, uh, I felt that it was kind of a side project that was didn't receive much attention. But once the solution was built and it was running and th- the volume started increasing and it was saving so much money for the company, it was something talked about in the hallways, talked about by management, pre- presented at the company uh, all hands around how much is being won and recovered for 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 these partners through through the solutions. So it really gained uh, uh, attention over time as uh, as it became more of an issue.
0: Exactly, Jenny. Do you have anything you can add on that about um, how it's changed and how leadership cares? I,
2: I I would just have to put it out there. I I, I love my leadership team. Um, they're very supportive, um, and the fact is, is the fact that if we weren't visible, right, um, Bike wasn't as visible or interest, not just to the C level, but I feel like the overall companies until the pandemic happened. While e-commerce grew, some companies were a complete halt, uh, but everybody was charging back, which in turn became the forefront of many companies who didn't invest as much in disputes. So unfortunately, action usually isn't taken until there's a great loss before it can actually be addressed. Um, but for me, fortunately, because of the fact that I do work for a larger company and we do have high volumes of chargeback, um, we do get support um, from yeah. it. So then that that way we, we can uh, work with our partners and also collab, which we'll talk later on as well.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, like even at marketplace style companies, even if it's not like a a B2C marketplace, but it's like a B2B marketplace. So reselling another client's products. If you have um, contracts where you, the financial burden comes all the way through to that end client, like the supplier basically like they can raise a lot of questions about the relationship that they have with your leadership directly and that puts a lot more focus on the investment of resources not only for the chargeback team but the upfront fraud prevention screening teams and can help make a case you know because you want to make the clients happy so you have stuff to sell exactly. you know on those in those scenarios exactly so another one is um 42% say they don't have the resources they need they are seen and they're heard but they're not supported I think that like for me, I've historically have seen that in like lack of prioritization from like engineering resources, um, even support money, like obviously adding headcount, things like that. But for the most part, like I think every project manager, like, their 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 product that they're working on is the most important one in the world, uh, no matter if it is or isn't. So if I try to add some tickets or add something to the queue, you know, because no one's ever heard of fraud or no one's ever heard of chargebacks, it doesn't, it's not sexy, like um, creating a new checkout flow or something like that. It might get deprioritized, which then will uh, cost the company money when they don't really realize it. So like I see, um, I try to attach dollars if I can to say like my project is worth X. That could be challenging for people to get to get to those things. but if you can, it might help lead your case. But at the same time, your project, like their project might be worth fifty million. so who knows, you know,
1: yeah, I really think that uh, that's one of the reasons why we we saw the opportunity to build just because many resources aren't being invested in this in many companies. Uh, and the resources uh, that are available are usually manual. and Jenny said it very well. you 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 need the manual touch, but you also need. Uh, where you can automate things and make it scalable, you should do that. And many don't have those resources to do that. So what what we're really doing at Just is providing that platform for merchants to automate that process, to take a hands-free approach. And we take uh, that, that pain point on our shoulders for that merchant.
0: Yeah, because 52% of the people that you surveyed did say that they lacked the manpower. And in addition to that, 48% of the people that said that said it's budget related, why they don't have the manpower. And I would say that that's fair. That resonates with me deeply. You know, like I, every year, actually I'm wrapping up uh, budget season right now for 2024. And I think I did pretty good, but I um I was very honest and very, I, I asked for what I need to ask for. I try to put put words around that. So, yeah. So how, how like, the, and I think that's what really comes down to is like when I'm doing my budget, it's how do I ask for more money? to recover money that should have already been ours to begin with. So any thoughts there from both of you?
1: Yeah, I'll jump in. Uh, I mean, it's it's really it's hard to ask for the resources if you can't prove that what the dollars that you're going to bring back and to invest in a team that, that that is not guaranteed to bring the the funds back to uh to the company. And especially there's going to be a period of education until that team is actually going to be ramped up and be able to. To recover those funds uh it's a risk that a company will need to take and uh many companies are not willing to take that risk so either ramp it up very slowly and see that your results are going are being successful or uh that's why when when working with just what we do do is uh, many times merchants will start with a success-based fee meaning they don't pay just unless we actually recover the funds so there is no ramp
0: up or risk only when the solution works do they
1: actually have to pay
0: something and then jenny i know you like you have experience especially even when i was there ramping up teams ramping them down doing the training can you add anything about that
2: Oh my gosh, the training. Um yeah, Especially that's another, that 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 that's another episode. But um let me just tell you in regards to and Jordan, you don't know this person, but I did have a person come and tell me um, because I brought it up in their in their budget, and they said, Well, I don't want chargebacks. Can you just tell them we won't we don't want it or if you can put it on hold for us because it's not <laughs> in our budget. And I'm like, you know what? If I can do that for you, I would be vacationing forever right? So it's just the fact that it's educating them. Um, they have no idea, right? And especially how do, you, how do you justify, right? When it's it's money going out.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think like the same time, you know, like we like, you know, Ronan on this survey that you guys did too, you know, like, like you just touched on 35% of, of people say that the training is, is also the issue, you know? And I think like Jenny, especially let's talk about CE3 again um, with you, like, you know, you have your whole team that you had trained to do something a certain way with CE2. And then now you had to train all of your people. I think you got like 20 of them now on a whole new thing that like the, the, the goalposts have completely moved on that. So what do you think about that, Jenny? And then Rowan, we'll go to you for that.
2: Um, well, I have to say in regards to the industry that I am in, in ticketing, it's always ever changing. So um, n- nothing is ever set in stone. So when I did bring it up to the team in regards to 3.0, they were like, well, what is this? Stop adding, you know, uh, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, but it's, I mean, it is what it is. It's part of the game. And if you can automate wherever we can, then that's great. But um, I just feel like the moment, like the industry changes and it's updated, the rules and policies are done. And you train them. And they finally get it and they understand all of a sudden next quarter, something else new news comes out and yeah. you're just Visa like, wait, their mind again. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I love you, Visa. I'm just saying. But it's it's more like, oh, my God, you got to do this all over again. You got to train them all over again. And it's just it's yeah, it's nonstop. I mean, it makes it exciting, but it's very exhausting.
1: It is very painful to have to constantly stay up to date with industry changes between Visa, MasterCard and other card schemes making changes. And once you train the team and then the changes happen again, learning about the changes, learning how those changes affect your actual solution and then implementing them into your solution is, is is quite a process in itself and and visa said it you know i remember the first uh, webinar i was on with visa when they when they rolled out CE 3.0 and they've made so many changes in the past few years and they even said with c 3.0 this is just one more step in the right direction there's many more changes to come so on one side we're excited about these changes that will make it a more even playing field but on the other side
0: it's a challenge to stay up to date yeah. with these changes so here we go. Let's well, moving on. Um, Some more numbers from this this uh, wonderful report that you guys have done. This has been a super fascinating report for me. If anybody like, I'll put links to the report in the description of this, so people could just read through without all of our flavor flavor on here. But um, just super interesting information. These are just things like I, like I said again that I found super interesting. Now this next one resonates with me pretty strongly. Um, it's about collaboration. And 77% of the teams reported that they collaborate closely with other departments. And it grows to 88% for larger companies. Now, for me, and I think even my time at at, at Ticketmaster, like Jenny was was privy to how I did this and I've done this at iHerb too, and my team here, like Steve and Katie Afkin really attribute this, is we have aligned closely with the customer service team and the security teams because those are it's a lot of crossover for that. And some of the things that I'm working on, they're also working on, and some of the things that we do have direct effect on down the line on how they will be doing their job. So we set up calls on a regular basis that we sync with these teams and we meet with them, we tell them what we're doing, and what we're up to, so we don't blow up their whole lives. And it's gone a really, really, really long ways at our organization. So um, another thing that comes out of that, 15% of people say, That they don't want to collaborate internally they want to stay on fraud island and have fraud island stuff happening um and the remaining percent kind of don't care at all but that's not a big percentage you know it's like less than 10 percent. so ronan can you kind of dip in a little bit on what you think from that
1: yeah merchants definitely uh see a, a decrease in chargebacks we see with our merchants at least when they communicate well with other teams Um, And it's also something that we do is when we find insights on chargebacks, we provide those insights back to our merchants Uh, because what we see is you mentioned it now with the customer support team is if you can take uh, service issues based on chargebacks that are occurring uh, and find trends and then actually improve your customer support due to those trends that you're finding, Uh, Overall, your chargebacks are decreasing. And many of our merchants are saying that either the insights we're providing to them or the insights that their internal teams are providing to them is helping them overall decrease what we'd call the legitimate chargebacks, because there always is a certain percentage of legitimate claims that are being made.
0: I think that that's important because we always try to, in in these shows and in these things, these products that we develop, get to zero chargebacks. But there are legitimate grievances and your team might not know about them. Like I remember like uh, Jenny and I used to always sit, we, we had this nice report that would show us the types of events that were getting more chargebacks. And if it wasn't like a major tour, like where you would expect to see high volume and chargebacks, if it was something small, we would always say, what happened? Something happened at this event. So people have a legitimate grievance. Maybe they couldn't get in. Maybe it got flooded out. There is all sorts of different things that happen that people have legitimate things. And you need to have this communication with these departments to figure out what happened. Because if you're just sitting here with only part of the data and you're just replying to these chargebacks and you start winning a whole bunch of of chargebacks for somebody that never actually got their item, you're gonna hit social media in a bad way. You might hit the news and you don't wanna be the source of that. So you wanna communicate with these people because if an entire thing didn't happen or an entire product didn't get shipped, but you took their money, it, they might, it might need to go back to that. To this people, you know, like there are legitimate reasons why chargebacks exist. And like, I work in this industry and I have legitimately opened chargebacks this year. No. And that was, that is with an S so shocked. that is with an S, but like, there are things that I have ordered that I never got and I'm sorry, I'm not paying for that. And I tried, I tried to reach out the customer service and they were unhelpful. Uh, both times and I was able to, and it wasn't, they weren't, they weren't unhelpful that I didn't get the resolution that I wanted. They were unhelpful in, they literally didn't ship my shit and I want my shit. <laughs> so I want my money back now. So there we go. So moving on to point eight. So 17% of people responded, had no idea that visa even changed anything, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but granted, you know, not everybody is in industry news. So people just go to work and do their job. Only 33% of people fully understand the changes. And Jenny, this is one of the things that I, I I wanted to have you on because I know you were an early adopter of CE3 and that's where some of the other chargeback um, folks in the, in, in the space had reached out to you for advice on what to do. So um, that's pretty crazy. I did see that um, 35% of people say they are having a hard time keeping up with visas changing rules. I saw some some charts at a conference recently that showed kind of the results of what's happened, like early preliminary um, evidence of CE3. For the most part, it's been a positive experience for a lot of vendors. There are a couple of vendors um, that have seen the, a drop in their win rate, but that's not. An, I don't think there's enough evidence yet to to say it's been successful either way. I mean, it's only been around for like three months. So Jenny, let's start with you first and foremost on talk about like understanding visas rules to changing rules. And then Ronan, we'll go to you um, if we just go right into you um, about your thoughts on this particular thing.
2: So, I mean, how do you expect some merchants to really grasp 3.0 when they're really already trying to comprehend the foundations of a chargeback itself? That the full resolution timeframe along with what is considered compelling evidence alone is already confusing enough. I mean, not to mention updating the current chargeback platform you have in place and then training your team at the same time So, I mean, there's a lot of back end that plays into it. Adding 3.0 on top of it just um, causes more, I'm not going to lie, stress, right? But um, it is what it is. But um, trying to dive in into it early, that's exactly what Jordan was saying. The moment I heard about it and it was just ringing in my ear, I dived in, learned as much as I could, reached out to Visa, reached out to all the connections and partners that I can. A lot of them said, relax, not until a year from now, don't worry about it. But there's a lot of dev work behind it.
0: That right? year so, goes quick. <laughs>
2: yeah, a year goes very, very quick, right? You get older. So, so we need to go ahead and reach out and fix and do what we need to do internally. Uh, reach out to our partners to see what uh, alternatives that we do have, but also training the team. So that year does go down to feels as if weeks.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree that there's uh, there's definitely a lot that needs to be done internally in order to uh, to stay up, to have your systems ready for it. But you have the first stage to even be educated about it and then you need to update your systems. And what we're really seeing is because we are the service provider and we, we handle all the updates and the changes, we've updated our systems to be ready for C 3.0 very early on. And with many merchants, they didn't need to do anything on their side and, and from day one, they were getting CE 3.0 once it went live. With other merchants, the way they were integrated with us, they needed to actually provide us additional data points from their end through the, so that we can actually per, implement the CE 3.0. And just educating the merchants that work with us around CE 3.0 and why they need to provide us these additional data points in itself uh, is, was a project. And to have them learn why should I provide you with another data point? Because the system's already running, it's working well, we already have a good success rate. Why should we, why should we provide something else? And there wasn't a lot of knowledge around that. And what what's interesting on top of that, which which connects Jordan to what you said, is that you know we're looking now for the results of CE 3.0. And and the thing is, is though we're submitting with CE three at the moment. There, For many situations, it's not being actually submitted properly because C3.0, the merchant needs to be ready, but the the acquiring bank and the payment processor also needs to be ready because C3.0 and the true version of it actually has to be specific data points that are submitted
0: in a specific way through V-Roll. And it's like rapid. It has to be done almost immediately, like in order to get those, like especially the RDR stuff, like that has to be submitted like in seconds doesn't it for order insight for c 3.0
1: no order insight you have three seconds to respond so that's rapid for responding for a rate when in, in the chargeback form of it you actually have the chargeback timeline to respond but what's happening okay. there is that many of the acquiring banks and payment processors systems aren't actually properly integrated with vroll to actually submit the data properly so what we're doing on our side for example is we're actually adding C 3.0 to the top of the evidence. So it's the, at the front of the issuer, but it's even, we're getting results now back now, and but we're, we're working with our the, the acquiring banks and payment processors. So we could go to that next stage, waiting for their systems
0: to be ready so it can be submitted directly through VIROL to those specific data points. It used to be, there's, there's, there's dropdowns that they have to do. And there's only so many things that you can select. inside exactly. those dropdowns. Specific data that they need to select and, and many, and you can even integrate with the API. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that's like beneficial for you guys is like, you're a newer platform that was built more with these sorts of things in mind. I think so many of us are like trying to work with these like super legacy platforms to do some sort of level of automation. And these are platforms aren't even ready for changes at this magnitude. So like something like adding device ID into a response is like a huge undertaking just to get that one single data field that now is like a pretty necessary and and desired data field to have, you know? And like, I think one of the things that you guys are doing pretty well, in my opinion, is forging these actual partnerships with. Some of these companies that already like the fraud companies that already have that data. So you can get the data from them instead of having to do a full blown integration for every little single piece from a a merchant that then if it changes, like one of the cool things that like doing a partnership like that with you guys would be is like, if something changes on the visa side and you know, your partner already has that 4X merchant you could just add it automatically for them so they don't have to really do anything. And that gets a lot of value out of having a service that's like like you guys. So that's my opinion.
1: Yeah, you no, know, that's a great point. We have partnerships with many anti-fraud solutions as well as payment processors. And then it's exactly right. We can get a lot of that data from them so the merchant doesn't have to send any data over in the first place.
0: It makes it a lot more efficient. So that's kind of um, the, the the high points. Like I said, I'm gonna add these individual links to the to the report so people can browse through it themselves. It is 43 pages long, but it is a easy and light 43 pages to read. Uh, super happy that you guys did this. I kind of want to wrap up and let's talk about like each person's kind of biggest takeaway from some of these numbers that we saw. There was a lot of numbers and a lot of conversation around each one of those numbers on there. So what do you think Ronan, we'll start with you is some of the biggest takeaways from this particular report that you guys did. Cause it's, it's been super useful. Yeah.
1: I I'd take two uh, main uh, takeaways from here. The first is that 40% of respondents say that their company is losing at least 1% of their revenue from charge packs. That's a big number. And as I mentioned before, Uh, You really need to know what what is your uh, margin on each uh, chargeback, uh, on each transaction. You need to know what your your margin is on each transaction because that 1% of your revenue can actually be larger uh, of your net income if your margins are low. So if you have low margins, that that 1% can turn into 5, 10, and even 25% of your net income. So that's really important to understand. What is the impact? Excellent call Definitely. out. <laughs> uh, and the other point is that 53% of merchants surveyed said that their chargebacks have increased this year uh, and 32% reported no change. So uh, I like to mention the 32% reported no change because that means that the majority are saying that it's staying the same or increasing. And I think we started the, the conversation off with this that because chargebacks are increasing, uh, the online space is growing, it's becoming more mainstream as an easier way to get your funds back on a transaction. There needs to be more automated processes in place. It's not scalable to keep growing a team as the volumes of chargebacks grow. So we really believe that there's going to be a lot more technology developed in the space. Uh, we're part of that uh, that change in the space of scaling a solution and using machine learning to ultimately optimize and improve the solution over time. Uh, We always say that what the anti-fraud solutions did in the pre-transaction anti-fraud space to use machine learning to provide a better solution to detect fraud, that's what Just is doing on the post-transaction side. We're not only taking the pain point of chargebacks onto our shoulders, scaling it with technology, but we're tailoring it and optimizing it using machine learning, which is really exciting to
0: see and see the results that it brings for our merchants over time. And I've heard only good things about you guys from anybody that I know that's been using you. So uh, very nice work. I'll continue to watch you guys on that one there. And I think you guys have done a, a pretty good job, of like, of especially with like these reports and in this conversation of like talking about some of the pain points and like jenny just like you said you know it's like getting all of this this data into one spot all these chargebacks into one spot that alone is so crucial you know like there's there's been a lot of automation companies that have come along in the past but usually like they affix to one psp and not multiple they can't do they can't bring everything in from different sides and they're, they're always missing certain pieces of it and i think a lot of people didn't want to they want to injet, invest the resources into doing uh, a, a grabbing all these different pieces and i think as as this this problem continues to grow, which is the reason that we are all sitting in these fraud seats is trying to stop these chargebacks. But the the focus, like I think you said exactly right, is it needs to be on post transaction just as much as it used to be on pre-transaction. So very nice. Jenny, do you have anything to add that you wanna ta- take away from this uh, particular conversation uh, here?
2: Collaborate and educate. Uh, make sure you connect with other departments, especially your partners. Ask all the questions, regardless if you think it's stupid or not, ask all the questions. And if it's not on their roadmap, uh, then put it on their radar, because it'll eventually be on their roadmap. There's no one quick fix. I don't care what anybody says out there. I'm all about multi-layer approach, and I'm going to continue saying it for the rest of my life. That will help decrease, uh, will increase your win rate.
0: Excellent. Well, just uh Ronan, thank you very much for, for coming on here. Jenny, thank you very much for for dealing with me again. It's been a while. Um you I I will put all the links to both of your guys' profiles in in the description of this. And Ronan, and I will put your company, um, all of that in there. I think for for people that are listening to this and they are really starting to think like if any of these things resonate, like the manpower piece, not getting budget, all those things. I think it's worth having a quick conversation with just just to like, just to give the state of the state on where you are in your chargebacks and who your partners are to see if there might be something that they could, they could help possibly help you, you know, as your volumes are probably increasing and you're probably drowning. Uh, I I think it's a great product. I, I think a lot of the partnerships that they're forging are, are great partnerships. I think that we're only going to hear their name more and more and more, and you're probably going to be wanting to use them more and more and more. So, don't get FOMO, just make the phone call. How about that, guys? <laughs> Amazing. Love it. Well, thank, <laughs> love it Jordan. Thank you both for being on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank thanks for you for having us. Yeah, thanks for being on here and uh everybody, we'll see you in 2 weeks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit our incredible friends and sponsor Spec. Get your holiday team ready with full visibility into the customer journey all season long using their patented no-code orchestration platform and be ready for whatever comes your way with the ability to collect data, call third-party APIs, build logic and workflows, all with the ability to take action anywhere in the entire customer journey. Visit www.specprotected.com to schedule your demo and learn more. Thank you.